May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, I'm going to preach on Ephesians, but I, I want to just point something out in the gospel reading. And Jesus says, hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a man which, is, which by going into him can defile him. But the things which come out of a man are what defile him. And then in the reading it has dot, dot, dot. And there's a parenthetical statement there in the scripture that says, by this he made all foods clean. Jesus makes all foods clean. He eliminates all of the food laws, the restrictions on shrimp and all kinds of other things that you see in the Old Testament have no standing in the New Testament because by this he made all foods clean. And I've heard people who are not Christian grill Christians who aren't aware of that, and they'll say, so, you like shrimp? Oh, I love shrimp. Well, sinner. Because they think that the Old Testament rules and regulations still apply to us today and don't. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, we're going to talk about Ephesians, and it's the last time for a while. We've been talking about Ephesians for a long time, it seems. Uh, the big idea today is God gives us everything we need to defeat the enemy. God gives us everything we need to defeat the enemy. We, we don't lack anything as we go into this battle. I just want to read a couple of verses here of what we read today. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We are, we are not contending against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. I think it's true that sooner or later, believers discover that the Christian life is a battleground, not a playground. Have you noticed that? It almost seems like we're in a war zone, and you keep hearing the word incoming. Incoming COVID! Incoming Afghanistan! Incoming school! Incoming going on in the church, incoming local election. It's just like it's never-ending, finances, family, relationship, health, whatever it might be. It just seems like it's a battle. It's a war zone that we live in. You know? Paul actually, I remind myself that Paul wrote this letter while I was chained to a Roman soldier. This was one of the prison epistles. And he writes this in 2 Corinthians. He says, five times... I have received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes minus less one. Three times I have been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I have been shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger of river, uh, from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brethren, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. He did not have an easy life. His was a very difficult life, but his was a life of faith. He never wavered in his trust in God, no matter what his circumstances were. 
because our circumstances do not dictate the nature and character of God. In this life, we face three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is the society opposed to God. The world is society opposed to God. And every now and then we have like crazy things happen. And you go, yeah, there we go. There's an example. Harvard has chaplains, 40 of them, various faiths. They put their chaplains. And last week they elected a new president of all the chaplains at Harvard. He happens to be an atheist. And he was elected unanimously by the other chaplains at Harvard to be the president of the chaplains, even though he's an atheist. You may say, that doesn't make any sense. It does to them. It may not to be someone who understands God's word and what makes sense. To them, it makes sense. Thirty years ago, I'm in seminary, and I did a thing called CPE. Yeah, Tommy's smiling. Where's John? Yeah, remember that fondly? <laughs> so what it is is you go and you work in a hospital. I went to West Penn Hospital in Pittsburgh. And you minister to, to people in the hospital. But the big thing that you're there for is group work. So you sit in a group a couple of times a day and you have an advisor. So my advisor was a guy named Phil. He was a Lutheran pastor, ELCA. Somebody came out this morning and wanted to make sure he wasn't in the Missouri Synod. I said, no, no, no. So his thing about, now here we are, we're in the hospital for 10 weeks and we're ministering to people in the hospital. And he, he said, I just want you to know up front, prayer doesn't work. Prayer is ineffective. It's a placebo. You can pray, but just know that your prayers aren't going anywhere. This was our advisor for 10 weeks. What a wonderful experience. He was also a tower of sartorial splendor. You know what that means? He was always dressed to the nines. Man, the guy looked good. Expensive stuff. And he really, really liked his ties. Very expensive ties. He also had this thing that said, nothing is inappropriate. Nothing is inappropriate. I mean, that's only inappropriate in the eye of the beholder. And somebody else could be very appropriate. So it can't say anything's inappropriate. So he called me in after two weeks of the CPE, and he said, it's not working. I said, what's not working? He said, you. You say the most outrageous things, and nobody says anything. I said, is that my fault? I said, okay, fine. From now on, open season on me. So I went back to the next group meeting and said what I said, and it, it changed a little bit. But he went on and on about this inappropriate thing. So I had a fantasy that one time I would get up, and I'd walk across the circle, and I'd go over to him, and I'd take a scissors out, and I would cut his tie off. And then I would go back and sit down, and I would say, Phil, was that inappropriate? I never did it. <laughs> I never did it. Anyway, she knows where the wiggle room is. Okay, good, good. The flesh is our old nature. Um, opposed to God, and we have a new nature in Christ. So when we come to be 
spirit-filled followers of Jesus Christ, we get a new nature. We're not stuck in that old way of thinking and acting and believing and reacting to life. We have a new nature that we use as we go forward. And then the devil. The word devil means accuser. He's always sticking his finger in your, in your eye going, see, see that? See what you said? See what you did? God could never love you. They don't really like you. You're no good. You're no good. And people begin to hear this and believe it. Satan means adversary. He's the one who was there against us. He does not want us to succeed in the things of God. So as we're trying to live out a godly, faithful life, you've got the enemy there always putting up roadblocks and potholes and all sorts of different things. I always think it's spiritual warfare when Deacon Karen reads the gospel. Because when, if, you, if you take her microphone and you talked in it for an hour, it, it's fine. The only time it does what, she, what you just heard it do, the only time is when she's reading the gospel. Go figure. Mm-hmm. The good news is Satan's not all-knowing. He's not all-present. But he uses helpers. Paul calls them principalities and powers. Spiritual warfare is real. There are good guys and there are bad guys. They are at war with one another, and we are the prize. Our souls are the prize of this struggle. But Christ overcame the world, the flesh, and the devil so that we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. We don't fight for this victory, which we've already won. We've already won it. We're fighting from victory. But it's like the missionary who came back to his tent and he found a huge snake in the tent, and he put a bullet in the snake. Now the snake is in the death throw inside the tent, destroying pretty much everything in the tent. He's mortally wounded. There is no hope that he's going to survive, but you don't want to go in the tent because you're going to get hurt. So he's very destructive even though he's lost. The enemy is very destructive even though he's lost. So that's why we have to be careful in how we live and we go about life. Satan promises the best, but he pays with the worst. He promises honor, and he pays with disgrace. He promises pleasure, and he pays with pain. He promises profit, and he pays with loss. He promises life, and he pays as we, as we move through life, if we follow God, it will be a godly life. It will be better. It won't be easy, but we know that he's with us and we're with him. We're connected. We're one. When we try to move outside of God's will in this world and kind of give in to the world, the flesh, and the devil, we end up with disgrace, pain, loss, and death. And too many people make that choice. And he also doesn't fight fair, just so you know. Uh, here's what it looks like sometimes. Attacks from an unexpected quarter, and you go, really? They said that about me? I can't believe that. I thought they were my friends. Hmm. Did they really say that? Or did somebody just say they said that? Inducements to doubt God's word. See, God's word is truth. 
and it is authoritative for our lives. But if our lives are going in a direction we don't like, maybe, maybe God had it wrong. Maybe I don't need to follow what he says because it doesn't seem to be working out for me. Circumstance, now, not that anybody would be concerned with this one. Circumstances that produce unusual pressure upon us. Not relevant. Unless, well, maybe it is. I don't know. Anybody feeling any pressure these days in your life about anything? Prolonged bouts of discouragement. Remember that two of the enemy's main weapons are doubt and discouragement. It's just not working out the way I thought it would. I'm not becoming the person I want to be. Why do I keep falling back on those old habits, behaviors, and ways of thinking? There's no hope. What's the use? I give up. That's the enemy. Worries that seem to consume us. There's something going on in your life. You wake up in the morning and you're thinking about it. You think about it through the day. You go to bed, you're thinking about it. And the next morning, you're thinking about it as well. Like right here, whatever it is. That's the enemy. Seductive appeals to sinful compromise. Oh, it's just this once. It won't matter. It's just a little thing. It's a little lie. I'm not going to be telling a big lie. Sinful compromise. Bitterness towards others. Our attitude towards other people changes based on things they said, things they did, things they didn't say, didn't do. But it separates us from our family, our friends, God's people. Enticements, enticements to turn away from the means of grace. Means of grace. When I, when I see that, I think Acts 2.42. And they came together for the apostles' teaching, the breaking of the bread, the fellowship, and the prayers. The apostles' teaching is the word of God, means of grace. The breaking of the bread is the Eucharist, means of grace. The fellowship is being with one another, interacting with one another, helping one another means of grace. Prayer is relationship with God, a means of grace. That's what we're doing here on a Sunday, means of grace. Came together for the apostles' teaching, the breaking of the bread, the fellowship, and the prayers, okay? So if you're home and you're in your pajamas drinking a cup of coffee and you could be here, be here next week. Because you're, you're missing out on the means of grace. Amen? I said that at 8 o'clock and they said I wouldn't say it at 10.15. They said. I don't know. Critical comments about other believers. Hmm. For various reasons, especially during COVID world. You don't think the way I do. You don't see things the way I do. You want people to die. Well, not really. I just see things a little differently. Can't we have a conversation? No. You're a bad person. That's the enemy. Attempts to hide your behavior from others. How many of you want, want to give your phone, your iPad, or a computer to your mother with all your passwords or your wife or your kids? Now, Karen Murphy said this morning, that her mother was constantly saying to her growing up, the world of flesh and the devil. And her father would bring home beer, and she'd say, the world of flesh and the devil, and he'd hide it under the bed. 
And then the boys would say, Mom, he's drinking warm beer again. I don't know. So Paul paints this picture of, of the Christian in complete armor, ready to go into battle. And it's the belt, the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet, and the sword. This belt was like a, a belt, it was, it, and it says, gird up your loins, and so they would have a robe on like this, and they would pull it up and tuck it into the belt so they could run. It can't really run in this thing right now. But so that they were able to move in battle, gird your loins. It's the belt of truth. They girded up the loins for battle, and it's, it's to be spiritually and mentally prepared for battle. Spiritually and mentally prepared for battle. And the, I just tell you, the enemy hates truth, hates it. Uh, he's a liar. He hates people with a biblical worldview. Sixty percent of born-again Gen Z and millennials between the ages of 18 and 34 believe that there's more than one way to the Father besides Jesus including Muhammad and Buddha. 60% of born-again millennial and Gen Z, 18 to 34, think you can get to the Father and be saved through Muhammad or Buddha and Jesus. That's not true. That's not what the Bible says. The truth is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's it. He is the one who died on the cross for our sins, not Muhammad, not Buddha, Jesus. And yet they've been deceived. They've been deceived through false teachers. One of the things that Paul was constantly warning Timothy and, his other, and Barnabas and all these other people about was false teachers. And in so many churches today, we have false teachers. When we're discouraged and under attack, we go back to the things we know to be true. We must go back to what the theologians call the first principles. God is holy. God is righteous. God is perfect. All his ways are right. His mercy endures forever. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. We are kept forever by his love. The Holy Spirit has sealed us, and today we're going to have a baptism. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own. Yeah. The Lord Jesus died and rose again. He now intercedes for us in heaven, and all things are working together for our good. That's Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to those who are, love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Okay. My life verse. Talks about the breastplate of righteousness. The thing about the breastplate of righteousness, the breastplate, there's nothing in the back. There's nothing in the back to protect you. So if you're running away, you're, you're going to get hit in the back. This, is, this, this idea of the full armor of God is to constantly be moving forward on the offense into battle, not turning tail and running away. The breastplate covered the vital organs, the chest, especially the heart, and it was like an ancient bulletproof vest. The righteousness Paul has in mind comes to us by virtue of our right standing with God. And it says in Romans 5, 1, having been declared righteous or justified by God, we now pursue righteousness in the choices that we make. Because I have been made right with God, I now want to pursue good choices. I want to put a smile on God's face. I want to live a life that reflects who I am in him 
and not be um, moving off the path. Let's see. Shoes of the gospel kind of has this idea of going out into the world with the gospel. So in battle, the soldier has to have good shoes, and the, the Romans would have these, like, spikes or something coming out of the shoes so they could di dig in like that and not be moved. Good footing. So the shoes give them a solid foundation. When Paul speaks of the gospel of peace, he means the gospel itself is the only true source of peace. Because of Jesus Christ, we now have peace with God. We have the peace of God, and we have peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? The idea is we take the gospel of Christ to, uh, to others. Paul writes in Romans that how are, how are men to call, upon his in, to call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him when they have never heard? And how are they to hear without a preacher? And how can men preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. They were surrounded by streams and lakes full of hungry fish. They met regularly to discuss the call to fish, the abundance of fish, and the thrill of catching fish. They got excited about fishing. You're a fisherman, Mike, right? How many of you guys like to fish? There's a few. Someone suggested that they needed the philosophy of fishing, so they carefully defined and redefined fishing and the purpose of fishing. They developed fishing strategies and tactics. And then they realized that they had been going at it backwards. They had approached fishing from the point of view of the fishermen and not from the point of view of the fish. How do fish view the world? What do fish eat and when? These are all good things to know. So they began research studies and attended conferences on fishing. Some traveled faraway places to study different kinds of fish with different habits. Some got doctorates in fishology, but no one yet had gone fishing. So a committee was formed to send out fishermen. As prospective fishing places outnumbered fishermen, the committee needed to determine priorities. The priority list of fishing places was posted on bulletin boards in all of the fellowship halls, but still no one was fishing. Survey was handed out to find out why. Most did not answer the survey, but from those who did, it was discovered that some felt called to study fish, a few to furnish fishing equipment, and several to go around encouraging the fishermen. Well, with meetings, conferences, and seminars, they just simply didn't have time to go fishing. Now, Jake was a newcomer to the Fisherman's Fellowship. After one stirring meeting of the fellowship, he went fishing and caught a large fish. At the next meeting, he told his story and was honored for his catch. He was told that he had a special gift of fishing. He was then scheduled to speak at all the fellowship chapters and tell how he did it. With all the speaking invitations and his election to the board of directors of the Fisherman's Fellowship, Jake no longer had time to go fishing. But soon he began to feel restless and empty. He longed to feel the tug on the line once again. So he cut the speaking. He resigned from the board, and he said to a friend, let's go fishing. They did, just the two of them, and they caught fish. The members of the Fisherman's Fellowship were many. The fish were plentiful, but the fishers were few. Ninety-five percent of all people who call themselves Christians have never shared their faith. That's a pretty high number. Now, here's the deal. You have a very powerful 
evangelical weapon in your arsenal. It's called your testimony, your story. What has God done in your life? What's changed you? What was it like before? What is it like now? What is this ongoing process of becoming more and more Christ-like, the process of sanctification? They can't tell you it's not true. And it really does have an effect on people who are open to hearing your story. So don't sell that short. The shield of faith. The shield of faith describes what we might call dependent living. It means calling on the Lord for help in the time of trouble. And dependent living is the opposite of doing it your own way. Has anybody seen an ad for a university called WGU? You seen this? Uh, I, I, college isn't, they're not doing it on my time. I, I, I don't take, I don't want to take exams when they want me to take exams. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not studying when they tell me I need to study. I want it my way. And I'm thinking, and then they say, college your way. Well, I got news for you. We don't, get, we don't get to do it our way. We get to do it his way. And when you do it his way, it works. And when we do it our way, it doesn't work. And that's why we have the shield of faith to kind of protect us from these fiery darts. Well, what are the darts? The devil launches these things. The phrase suggests a sudden attack that causes us to be seized with strong emotions. Something happens and we get triggered. There's a word. All of a sudden, something comes to mind. Somebody comes, your face pops up, or something is said or done that just makes me just, oof, it's a dart. It's something that may seem small, but becomes almost overwhelming. These darts may come from anywhere at any time and in any situation. That's what makes this so tricky, and that's why we've got to take up the shield of faith proactively. What it means is be alert. Be aware of where these things are coming from and don't react to them. When somebody says somebody said something, find out if they said it. Don't just believe it. Get the story. Don't be so offended all the time. That's one of the things you find in our society today. People are so easily offended. And it just leads to things that aren't very helpful. The helmet of salvation. So you have this helmet, and, uh, you know, woe to the soldier that goes into battle without a helmet. It protects you from that. But I think more than that, it, it, it's the helmet of salvation. It's, it's, it, it helps us to understand that we are his. But I think more, more than it, it protects the mind. You know, it protects the mind. In Romans 12, Paul says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. What is coming in to your consciousness? What are you reading? What are you listening to? What are you looking at? What is informing you? Is it godly? Is it ungodly? If it is ungodly, stop it. God wants us to put things in our head that reflect his will for us and who he is. And so often the world's values just don't work. You know, I feel bad for Britney Spears, but I'm tired of hearing about it. I pray for her, you know, that things might 
But see, that's a huge thing in our culture. Britney Spears, sports, multi, 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 multi million dollars for young people that have never played a down in football. And I think of nurses and I think of soldiers and I think of uh, teachers that are struggling to get by. The value system doesn't shape up. Then there's the sword, the sword of the Spirit. And finally, the Bible tells us to take up the sword of the Spirit. It's the Word of God. It's the only offensive weapon we have. It's the Word of God. It's this. All the other armor protects us. The Word of God cuts like a double-edged sword, laying everything bare so that nothing is hidden. And that's why when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he didn't give some kind of theological treatise to Satan. He just said, Man does not live by bread alone. Boom, that was it. Thou shalt have no other gods before thee. Boom, that was it. He just gave these one-liners, and that was all he needed to do. Because Satan cannot stand up against the word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. So you put it all together, and you have a picture of the Christian soldier, fully armed for combat. The various pieces of armor describe a quality of life and a commitment to a standard and the whole armor of God, if we, if we put it on, we're called to live truthfully, righteously, peacefully, dependently, confidently, and biblically. So this is for the kids' main part. They're backing up. They're back. Oh, now we're on the chair. And this one's going... What in the world? This is like the sword of the spirit. This is the only offensive weapon we have when we put on the full armor of God, right? Kids always get a kick out of that one, right? I think. So many well-meaning people assume that once they come to Christ, their temptations will end. But the opposite is closer to the truth. Temptations increase once you become a follower of Christ. I mean, why would the devil attack one of his own? I got you. I'm not wasting my time on you. I'm going after this guy over here who thinks he's a follower of Christ. Well, we'll see about that. He fights against those who follow Christ. And that's why some people can honestly say, I gave my heart to Jesus and things got harder than they were before. Well, welcome to the battlefield. Christianity is not a religion for sissies or for those who want an easy road. If you're looking for an escape from your problems, Jesus is not for you. Christianity is for strong men and women who will not flee from the struggle. We need some valiant soldiers willing to enter the field of battle. And I think that's true especially today. In our world, in our society, especially today, we need people who are willing to stand up. That sign says, stand up for what's right, even if you're the only one standing, and that is going to become more and more and more appropriate and true than ever before. So my appeal is Paul's appeal. Name your trouble, your trial, your temptation, and then enter the battle in the strength of the Lord and find out for yourself whether it's possible, having done all, to stand. Christ cannot fail. I might struggle, but he cannot fail. 
I might waver under the attack, but he cannot fail. If Christ is in me and I am in him, then weak though I may feel, Christ cannot fail. It's not about me. It's about him. So try it for yourself. Put the Lord to the test this week. Give God his fair chance. Name your personal battleground and then go in the strength that God provides. Take up the divine armor and march forward into battle. So I challenge you. I challenge myself. God invites you to see for yourself what the Lord will do. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God. Now, Kathy thought this video was a little much. For, she thought it was too guy. So we'll see. Gives me chills. Strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, put on the full armor of God. Amen.